from Capital Broadcasting and WREL Documentary, this is the WREL Doc Podcast. I'm Cliff Baumgartner. This season, we've had our eyes on the sky, taking an in-depth look at North Carolina's history with wicked weather. So far, we've talked about Hurricane Florence's swift, deadly impact on the state earlier this year and the legacy of Superstorm Hazel. But while North Carolina is known for its tumultuous relationship with hurricanes, there's another, even faster foe we encounter more often than you might think. I'm talking about tornadoes. The noise kept getting louder and louder and louder. It sounded like several uh, freight trains coming through. Windows came crashing in, the whole house started going to pieces, and we were just like on a flying carpet, like Wizard of Oz or something. And uh... Top came off the house. We just got down on our hands and knees and covered each other up with our bodies and, and stayed there. While a hurricane has the good manners to let you know it's coming, tornadoes follow no such etiquette. They pop up seemingly out of nowhere, causing destruction in indiscriminate, haphazard paths that are difficult to predict. And here in North Carolina, many of our tornadoes strike at night, making them exponentially more dangerous as often people don't even know they're coming. A few years ago, the WREL Doc Unit produced a documentary looking back at a few of the deadliest tornadoes that have hit the state and forward as advancements in technology and forecasting change the way we think about tornadoes and how to save lives. The documentary originally aired on June 3rd, 2009. It's hosted by Kelsey Carlson. Enjoy. Instead of a red sky, it was an orange-yellow sky. Air was very, very thick and humid. It was feeling heavy. It was feeling wrong. The National Weather Service in Raleigh has issued a tornado warning for You see that the sky was churning and moving fast. Look at this hook developing in here. That's the most impressive signature that I've seen this afternoon. I could feel through my feet it was rumbling like something big coming. For a few seconds, this terribly shrieking noise was coming. I mean, you you know, you could almost feel it coming. Furniture was leaving. You know, uh, windows were breaking, bricks were flying. actually came across that tree line. You can see where it sheared out that tree line. There was uh, people moaning and groaning and crying, you know, scared. Uh, houses leveled, uh, brick homes flat, mobile homes, single wides, double wides disappeared. I just saw debris. I saw human debris. You could smell these people's breakfast. But the house and the kitchen and their lives were gone. Tornado 
those are fierce and frightening and all too frequent in our state. North Carolina ranks first in the nation in nighttime tornado fatalities and 15th in total tornado deaths. So how much better are we at predicting them and protecting ourselves than we were 25 years ago when our state suffered the worst tornado outbreak in its modern history? General area of low pressure over the southeast. On March 27, 1984, WRAL meteorologist Greg Fischel saw all the ingredients for tornadoes. That is a forecast of the winds at about 30,000 feet, 7 o'clock March 28th. He still has the map he was using to plot the jet stream that day. I remember thinking, wow, I've seen this in the plains many, many times, but I haven't seen it in the southeast since I've been here. Fischl saw a huge and rapid drop in a low pressure system moving across Georgia. And I remember looking at that and saying, that's got to be an error. Well, I found out not too long after that that it wasn't an error. As it headed into South Carolina, layers of weather came together. The low pressure system converged with a cold front and powerful upper level winds in the jet stream. It's like trying to make a cake and you have all the imperfect ingredients that came together um, on, on that night in 1984. Hey, Cliff here. Just for clarity, that is the voice of Jeff Oreck from the National Weather Service. As the system moved to the northeast, it spawned deadly twisters in South Carolina. One of them plowed through the North Carolina towns of Maxton and Red Springs. Virtually every building in Red Springs was destroyed or damaged. Among them, the United Pentecostal Church. Gloria Baxley was in a van outside the church getting ready to go in for Bible study. And the windows started blowing out the van. The van starts rocking and just lifting up off the dirt. Her sister and brother were already inside. When the lightning would flash, you could see, and all we could see was like a big pile of rubble, but you really couldn't tell, you know, what it was. The rubble was what was left of the church. Gloria's two-year-old little sister, Tanya, was killed. It was devastating. The twister that hit Red Springs took four lives and injured nearly 400. As the system moved across eastern North Carolina, it continued to spawn tornadoes. A mile-wide twister tore through the towns of Roseboro and Salemburg, killing a dozen people and injuring more than 100. Then this is my friends down the street. Miss Rena's trailer was completely demolished. Pat Hewlin was on the rescue squad. She was taking a dinner break around 8 p.m. when the rain and wind picked up. And then the power went off, and about that time our pagers went off. There were calls of damaged homes and injuries. One call was near Pat's own house. And I started getting scared. Scared for her mother and nephew, who were in a trailer next to her house. When Pat got there, the road was blocked with fallen trees. Her son was there. I asked him where his grandma and Michael was, and he said, I don't know where they at. I can't find the trailer. A family friend found their bodies. They were on the roof of our porch, and the mattress was over them, and she was holding Michael. Pat says people were never warned about the storm. They thought the weather had cleared up. People went to church because they thought it was over. As the storm system moved to the northeast, it spawned yet another twister in the face in Mount Olive area. It killed three people and injured 49. I was in the bed, and when it hit, I uh, just fell over them, and, and I got at them, and everything was falling on me.
The voice you're hearing there is from a woman who is in a shelter following the storm, but I do not have her full name. A twister between the towns of LaGrange and Walnut Creek injured 81 people. I live in 80. I'm going to have to Another took a path up through Aiden, Winterville, and Greenville, killing 16 and injuring 153. Oh my God. A popular teacher by the name of Faye Cregan was among the dead in Greenville. Cregan was killed when the tornado destroyed her mobile home. A scholarship set up in her honor at East Carolina University still helps student teachers today. This was our house after the tornado. Just to the left of the front entrance was my bedroom. Kevin Joyner lived near Faye Cregan and was in the Twister's path. He was just 12 and until that moment was worried more about end of grade testing at school. I put my pillow over my head and I balled up into a, into a ball and for a few seconds this terribly shrieking noise was coming. I mean, you, you, know, you could almost feel it coming. The windows burst, the roof flew off, and Joyner looked up and saw the sky. And then immediately something hit me and it was the outer wall of our house had, had fallen in. Joyner's father got him out and his family survived, even if their home did not. Please report to your station and stand by. Pete County has a tornado in the county. As the system continued to the northeast, it spawned tornadoes that killed six people in Lewiston Woodville, two people in Gatesville, and one person in Snug Harbor. By one o'clock in the morning, we had confirmed over 20 fatalities, and when I woke up in the morning, it was over 40. And that, of course, is WRAL-TV chief meteorologist Greg Fischel. All total, the tornadoes killed 42 people and injured more than 600 in our state. I never, never really looked at, at tornadoes the same way after that. I think after that, I realized that this is more than red blobs on the screen. This is something that is affecting people's lives, taking people's lives, and changing other people's lives forever. And all of a sudden, it takes on a much more personal tone. Where was the most powerful tornado in the United States in 1988, and exactly when did it hit? Well, you might think it was somewhere in the Midwest on the spring afternoon, but you'd be wrong. It hit in the middle of the night on Thanksgiving weekend in Raleigh. It is moving very slowly eastward. It will pick up eastward speed as the night goes on. Sunday night, November 27, 1988. WRAL meteorologist Bill Schmidt shows a line of thunderstorms west of Raleigh. So a good chance of rain tonight with some thunderstorms and some gusty winds. It had been an unusually warm and humid Thanksgiving weekend. And the general thinking was, well, if it hasn't happened during the heat of the day, Saturday or Sunday, why would anything happen at 1 o'clock in the morning? Sunday night slash Monday morning. But at 1 a.m. on that Monday morning, a powerful tornado touched down two miles east of Raleigh-Durham International Airport and headed through North Raleigh. It leveled a Kmart on Highway 70. Four employees working inside survived. I started running, but I knew I wouldn't make it, so I got to the toys and I ducked under, and that's when everything started falling. That was the voice of Michelle Jones from file footage at the time of the storm. I'm just lucky to be alive. The twister plowed through apartment complexes. That looks good. 
Dr. Robert Orinder was fresh out of dental school and living with his wife Kay in one of those apartments. He says he woke to what sounded like explosions. Then I start hearing what sounded like hail, which probably was all the gravel off the Kmart. I could feel through my feet this rumbling like something big coming. And he scooped me up off the bed and carried me into the interior part of our apartment. At that time was our bathroom. That is Kay Orinder. Robert is her husband. I can remember when the bathroom door got ripped open, seeing a car spin like the house in The Wizard of Oz, and didn't know until the next day it was my wife's car. <laughs> the tornado ripped off the second story of the Orinder's apartment building. The bed where they had been sleeping was covered with debris. Had we not woken up with the tornado, we probably wouldn't be here. And our house here looked like a movie set. The tornado bore down on Doug and Luana Winter's neighborhood. I heard a tree break, and the trees in our area are uh, good this big around. And for a tree to break, that meant something. The winners ran to get their children. Luana went to the room next door where her daughter was sleeping. The house started coming apart. The roof started leaving. The attic started to go. And we, I didn't have time to do anything to get her anywhere, so I jumped into the canopy bed basically on top of her to protect her face and her hands. Doug found their son safe but trapped in his bedroom. The twister ripped off the roof and the attic. They found things of ours in Northampton County, Emporia, Virginia, and Virginia Beach. We were fine. That was the most important thing. A few others were not as fortunate. In Raleigh, the tornado killed two and injured 105. And as it crossed Nash County, it killed this young woman's parents when it destroyed their mobile home. The tornado stayed on the ground for 84 miles, finally disappearing in northern Hertford County. Well, I'm glad you got out. WREL news anchor Charlie Gaddy and photographer Jay Jennings were among the first news crews at the scene. We were coming in here with the firemen and the rescue people. Throughout the night and the next day, WREL news crews captured the harrowing stories from survivors. The noise kept getting louder and louder and louder. It sounded like several uh, freight trains coming through. Windows came crashing in, the whole house started going to pieces and we were just like on a flying carpet, like Wizard of Oz or something. And uh... Stop came off the house. We just got down on our hands and knees and covered each other up with our bodies and, and stayed there. The tornado destroyed 425 homes and damaged another 2,000, leaving 1,000 people homeless. It also destroyed nearly 80 businesses, including Dr. Orinder's dental office. Would hate to have anybody go, go through that because you feel very small and there's not a lot you can do, you know. But uh, thankful to be alive. The tornado that hit Regalwood, North Carolina in 2006 did not have much in common with the storms of 84 and 88. It was a single twister that lasted only a few minutes, but like those other storms, it was powerful, deadly, and hit with little warning. In the early morning hours of November 17th, a storm system off the South Carolina coast moved inland. It moved over Shalote into Columbus County and over the town of Regalwood, where it spawned a tornado. Fire Chief Steve Camlin and some of his men had just returned to the station from a fire. You could see that the sky was churning and moving fast. Um, temperature was dropping. 
Fireman Michael Brown was headed to the fire station with his daughter Cheyenne when he saw that tornado coming. He returned home to warn his father and his stepmother. He and Cheyenne were standing outside their home when that twister hit. Cheyenne reports that her and her father were picked up by the, the winds and taken tumbled. She remembers going round and round. And then she, rem she remembers hitting the trees. And then she remembers, you know, laying in the ditch with her dad. When he hit the tree so many times, it just broke him. It just broke his body up, broke his neck and different parts of his body. Michael was dead, but Cheyenne survived. First responders scrambled to help her and dozens of others who were injured. There was um, people moaning and groaning and crying, you know, scared. Uh, houses leveled, uh, brick homes flat, mobile homes, single wides, double wides disappeared. It would hit one house, skip two, and then hit another. That is the voice of Bob High, a reporter for Whiteville News. I was just amazed at the destruction. It was unreal. It traveled less than two miles, but was the deadliest tornado to hit North Carolina since the 1984 outbreak 22 years earlier. It killed eight people. Newspaper reporter Jefferson Weaver recalls walking through the debris. You could smell these people's breakfast. But the house and the kitchen and their lives were gone. There was no warning. It's one of those things that the Doppler radar will show possible. There's no warning. We're not that sophisticated yet. Even if there had been more warning, the storm hit just before daybreak, before many people were up and before TVs and radios were turned on. What can you do in a case like that? I mean, that, with a hurricane, you can run from a hurricane. You can plot a hurricane, you can figure it out. But a tornado is going to sneak up on you. And that's precisely what this one did. Local fundraising efforts help pay for a new warning system in Columbus County called Code Red. When there's a tornado warning now, telephone calls automatically go out to the people in the affected areas. Some say even if it buys a minute, it is money well spent. One minute's enough to get you into a bathtub. One minute's enough to get you into a closet. One minute's enough to get outside and get in a ditch. Most people affected by the deadly twisters of 84, 88, and 06 said they had little or no warning. That unpredictability frustrates forecasters, and it frightens the rest of us. Over the last 25 years, technology has gotten better at predicting when and where twister might hit. But will it ever tell us exactly when and where one will hit? Look at this hook developing in here. This is the most impressive signature that I've seen this afternoon. May 5th, 2009, the National Weather Service issues tornado watches across central and eastern North Carolina. The National Weather Service in Raleigh has issued a tornado warning for... The watches turn to warnings when Doppler radar shows rotation in some of the storms. This storm has a very, very good structure to it. WRAL and other stations go on the air to warn viewers. Law enforcement reports tornado touchdown at 4.52. A funnel cloud touches down in Wilson County. The tornado damages several homes, but residents heard and heeded the warnings. No one is killed or seriously injured. And it actually came across that tree line. You can see where it sheared out that tree line. Within 48 hours, Jeff Orock of the National Weather Service was surveying the damage. And so we're kind of literally seeing 
right in the middle of the tornado's path, started over there, came right across here, and then kept going back behind us. By studying the damage, OROC estimates the tornado's winds at about 140 miles per hour. If these were mobile homes, they'd have been obliterated. Uh, you actually wouldn't even see them anymore. The debris would be scattered probably for about another quarter mile downwind. The Weather Service surveys tornado sites to find out how good their forecasts are and how well their warnings work. Forecasting has come a long way since the 1984 tornadoes when radar meteorology was in its early stages. You couldn't see the rotation. You couldn't see the winds inside the storm. Our surface observation systems were, were very sparse. You didn't have a whole lot of observational data. With those limitations, meteorologists could not see the tornado potential in Raleigh in 1988 and only issued severe thunderstorm warnings in advance of the Red Springs tornado in 1984. They were only changed to tornado warnings once we started getting reports well after the fact that these had not only been tornadoes but it had been killer tornadoes. And once again, WREL's own Greg Fischel. Things are very different today. Many more weather stations monitor conditions on the ground. Doppler radar can see the winds inside a storm. And meteorologists have a better understanding of how tornadoes form. We've learned a lot, and our tools are a lot better than they used to be. But being able to tell somebody that there's going to be this intensity tornado in three hours on this street corner, not even close. Doppler radar still can't tell if a tornado is on the ground. Weather stations only provide hourly reports while weather conditions can change by the minute. And the amount of time meteorologists have to get warnings out can be cut drastically if a storm picks up forward speed. Sometimes these tornadic storms may be moving about 30 miles an hour. Sometimes they may be moving 60 miles an hour. And they'll literally go from one side of town to the other in a matter of minutes. High-speed internet and wireless technology can get warnings out to more people more quickly than 25 years ago. And some television stations are implementing systems that can call people on their home phones if they're in a tornado warning area. Hey, just to jump in one second, as we're talking about technology and changes in forecasting and what is available to help people prepare and get notifications for tornadoes, obviously this documentary was made a few years ago. And things have changed. Technology has continued to grow. There's a lot of new tools that meteorologists are using and things that you can use, such as the WRAL Weather app, which is available now in the app stores, on your phone, everywhere you would expect. If you want more information and weather-related tools, you can go to WRAL.com and click on Weather. You have a system that will make your phone ring if you're within this warning area then I think you greatly increase your chances of reaching everybody. Especially at night when most people are sleeping. Around Coates Crossroads, there was a report of a funnel cloud. But better forecasting, earlier warnings, and better communication will only save lives if people listen and react. From the time the warning is issued, you need to be able to assess the threat and take cover within three minutes. The uncertainty of the science and the responsibility to keep people safe means there are far more tornado warnings than actual tornadoes. Greg Fischel worries about that causing a cry-wolf syndrome with viewers. If you see that thing crawling across your screen for years and years and years, tornado warning, tornado warning, tornado warning, and it never comes to your house, at some point do you start to become desensitized to the whole thing and say, well, I see these things all the time, it never affects me. Odds are it won't affect you, but if the best science can't predict your odds, do you really want to gamble your life? on a twist of fate. We wish we could say, you get in your bathtub and you don't. <laughs> but we're not there yet. And so play it safe. 
If it doesn't happen, great. If it does, you put yourself in the best position you can to be safer. The WREL Doc Podcast is a production of WREL Documentary, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. We're produced by Shelley Leslie and yours truly, Cliff Baumgartner. Our music is by Lee Roservier and Breakmaster Cylinder. This week's episode featured the original documentary Focal Point, Twist of Fate, produced by Clay Johnson and Jay Jennings. If you enjoy the show, consider dropping us a review and sharing with your friends. You can find all of our documentaries at WRELdocumentary.com and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, thanks for listening.